I am your host, Phoebe Leona, and yes, this is our 150th episode. It's so wild, my friends. So I remember a couple of years ago when we hit 100, I thought, wow, this is really cool. <laughs> We've been doing this for a while. And now it's like we're halfway to 200. I mean, more than halfway, but like, you know, 50 in until we get to, to 200 now. And I have to say it's taken a lot of shapes and turns and twists along the way, but at the essence of it, it has always been about this space in between. So I feel called to share a little bit because some of you might have been with me since the very first episode. Some of you might have been fluttering in and out like around 50 or 100. Maybe this is your first or second time. So it's it's shifted and twisted, like I said, um, over the last, since 2018, so the last um, five years. But the essence has always been about holding this space, this liminal space, um, and really sitting in it and accepting it because a lot of times we don't allow ourselves in our Western world. And when I talk about the liminal space, this can be where my first initial invitation was to really hold space for people going through some sort of transition um, or had already been on the other side of it and to inspire people who were in their own transition, their own space in between their old life and their new life and to inspire them in that in that space. And then it shifted into more of like talking to facilitators who also might have had that story of transition, but the practices that really helped them and how they help others and introducing people to other you know kind of techniques. And then last year was we brought it back again. I brought in some of my favorite people to talk about their own spaces in the emotional landscape of our lives is a conversation around my book, Dear Radiant One, because we write because I share my story through letters to the emotions in the book um, as a way of storytelling and to invite the reader into their own emotional landscape and their journey of recovery. Um, and now the past couple of months, it's just been me and just really bringing in my own teaching, my Dharma talks that I do um, on social media and in my sessions with my Nomad Collective and my Movement 109 facilitators. And I just thought, let me have these conversations out more in an in-depth way for people to have them more accessible. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for all of those journeys of the space in between. And we're going to start to have a little bit of a different conversation. Well, I shouldn't say that. We've been having this conversation this whole time, but um, it's going to be more amplified, I should say, uh, with our summit that I, if you don't know already, I'm going to let you know about it right now. It's called Reimagining Embodied Leadership Summit. And this has become really important conversation to have because of the paradigm shift that has been happening the past couple of years of all these old systems that we thought we knew to be true and to be real and to be, you know, structure and form that we could depend on um, are crumbling in a lot of ways. And some people are re reacting out of place of fear and doubt and anger. And we've seen it all over the place in various ways. 
But I have really seen it this whole time as an invitation. And I know other people are out there and you're probably, I'm probably preaching to the choir if you've landed here. But I've been seeing this as an exciting time because we're being invited into, well, all the things that we quote unquote thought we knew to be true are no longer. So we get to create our own reality then. So what do we want to create? First of all, what do we want and what do we want to create? And how can we step in to be the leaders that we've been waiting for? And so the summit is going to have um, amazing people. A lot of them I know personally, they've been in my life. Some of them have been leaders and mentors to me over over many years. Some people are have been my students who I see as also leaders in their own worlds. Um, some of them I've just met very recently and they are just like soul sisters and brothers right away. Just felt like, yes, I need to co-create with them. And I felt like we needed to have these conversations around leadership because that word leadership can feel really big for some people and feel like it's very outside of themselves. So that's one group of people that's like, oh no, I'm not a leader, right? But you are, you are the leader of your own life. That's really what I want this conversation to be about today and and in the summit is like you to take back your ownership of your life. You are the leader we have been waiting for. And so when you really step into that place of fully embodying it, feeling more empowered, you will be the ripple effect that will inspire others to change and step into their own embodied ways of leading their life and our world. And then that will continue on and continue on and continue on. And just like the Dalai Lama said, right, be the change you want to see in the world. This is our invitation. We are the ones we have been waiting for to make that change. So join. <laughs> it's free. April 24th, you can join. There's a link here in the bio. We run podcast-like summits, um, podcast-like interviews. So they're they're all pre-recorded. We have three releasing each day. You can put it yourself, you know, put the time aside in your morning when you're getting ready for your day or in your evening rituals. Listen to us on your way to work or whatever it is. Weave them into your day. Yeah. And if you get the VIP package, which is only $33, you can have access to them for, for your entire life or until, until the internet decides to like take away (laughs) our programs. Yeah. Um, so you have, you have full access to these interviews in this container of the embodied leadership summit, reimagining embodied leadership summit. Um, And then they're also throughout that week, we'll have live sessions that I will be conducting. So you get to hang out with me a couple times throughout the summit live. And if you're a VIP, you get the backstage pass to hang out with me in the Zoom room and ask questions and explore a little bit more deeply. And one of the the calls for the VIPs is with our guest speakers. So some of the guest speakers that you'll hear in the podcast, they'll be with me. We'll have a panel discussion and you'll be able to explore some of these ideas around embodied leadership with us. 
So please join. I definitely feel very much like whether, again, you identify yourself as a leader or not, you will receive some sort of inspiration from, if not all of them, at least one of them. Yeah. I believe that you'll receive something from everybody, but I know that there's someone there for you that could potentially be um, somebody that you can, you know, see these as mentors for a week that you get to mentor with and inspire you to really step into your own, your own leadership role. And so that brings us into the conversation of today around how leadership can be lonely. So (laughs) I know I'm trying not to, it's like, okay, you should be a leader, but you're also going to be lonely. (laughs) That's the conversation I'm having. But the whole idea of the summit is really because there is this idea of leadership being lonely and we are coming together to make it so that we aren't lonely anymore. Yeah, we can have more power in in the numbers and feeling more supported. Yeah, so, but I do want to talk a little bit about this idea of leadership being lonely because I have to say, I felt quite, a, I felt quite alone in, in this idea of leadership for a long time. Um, but before I get to my own personal story, I just want to sort of sit with this. But yeah, I, I, when I, when I was sort of given this role, I, when I started my company, I did not really see myself as a quote unquote leader. I'm stepping in. I'm the leader of my company. I always sort of actually hid a little bit behind and my community was always saying, Phoebe, you need to step more forward, right? Step more forward, be the face of. And I thought, no, 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 it's all of us. It's all of us together. And now the past couple of years, I've really decided, okay, they're right. I need to, to be this. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. But when I was starting to surrender to this idea of, okay, I'm a leader, I'm going into this. The thing that I, the reason why I resisted it the most was because I didn't want to feel alone. Even though I was already feeling alone, I didn't want to feel even more alone by sharing what I had seen. Because when you have seen something, you've had a vision, because a lot of leaders are visionaries, when you have seen, you can't unsee it. And when you see something that is not the norm, right? That is not maybe fully understood or accepted, you are, that's your role is to help people see it. You are the one that are, is going to turn the lights on for them to see it. But to turn the lights on can be a very, very lonely process because there's going to be resistance for various reasons. And as I was sort of going along my path and I was sort of, you know, turning some little lights on, <laughs> just testing them out. And then I would turn them back off because I, I was like, oh, there, I'm not getting the response or I, I felt I didn't feel fully embodied myself to do it. And it wasn't really until I met my teacher now, Alexander John Shia, who is in the summit. He is so amazing. He has so many experiences and knowledge in his, in his life of being an anthropologist and a Jungian psychologist. And now he really takes, takes his teachings through 
the the teaching of Christianity, but he really walks them through Joseph Campbell's um, hero's journey, right? The, the, the fourfold path of radical transformation is what he calls it. But the way that he was seen, and you'll hear it, he'll tell you a lot more about it in the summit, but the way he started to see the Bible and the stories that they were that they were teaching was in a slightly different way than it had ever really been taught, at least to his knowledge. And he was thinking he really saw the root of the why that had been sort of covered up over hundreds of years. And when he was starting to tell me about how he was lonely when he discovered this, and there was a lot of resistance from his colleagues, um, he was feeling lonely. And I was like, you know what? I completely resonate with that, right? Because when you see something and other people aren't ready to see it yet, again, that's your role. You have to help them see it. You are the one that turns the lights on. And when you do that and you really speak into your truth and it's not accepted, it feels like you are fully alone. And I rem- and then it sort of took me back into my many days, many, many years ago when I was a dancer, particularly when I was in college, because this was a huge transitional time. Right before that, I knew I wanted to be a dancer. I was doing projects here and there in school musicals and dance companies, but it wasn't really serious yet, right? Like shit hadn't really gotten real. I was always still in school and everything. But then when I went to college, it was like, they were, they were really training us to become dancers. And now some people might not fully understand the life of a dancer, but if you have any dancers in your life, get, give them freaking credit. <laughs> because dancers, we, I mean, I had so many, we would have what, we didn't call them Dharma talks, but as a, as a yogi now, they were essentially dharma talks. We would be dancing throughout class and then my dance teachers would like stop and like just rant (laughs) and really give us some like life lessons. And it wasn't just about how high we were getting our leg or how pretty our lines were or, you know, the actual dance. It was really, they were teaching us about like our soul, like how to actually be in this world. And there were so many, I'm thinking of a couple of teachers, uh, Milton Myers, and then I had the opportunity to study with Bill T. Jones um, for a summer, who is actually a very um, well-known choreographer. And so many of them, they gave this Dharma talk of like, you're this path that you're choosing, you're going to be alone. Not only because it's sort of out of the norm, this path of being a dancer, but even in our own community, of dancers, you can feel alone because when you start to get better and you start to move on and you start to sort of expand your horizons, you might be leaving some behind, right? And this goes in any profession, right? But when you're so serious and you're so focused on your dream, you end up having to leave some people behind. And they weren't saying this was a bad thing, and, but they were basically saying, don't play yourself small. If you have that vision and you see what is possible for you, don't play yourself small. Don't try to like please your friends and like, you know, 
kind of throw yourself in that audition because you think that your other friend, you know, you don't want to hurt their feelings because you keep getting callbacks and they don't, right? They were just sort of talking more of those like life stuff, but they really, that the, that's the essence of their teaching. It was like, don't play yourself small. If you have a vision, if you know what you want, you have to keep going and you're going to be alone when you see it and you keep moving forward, you're going to be alone for a while. And I hadn't, I had kind of let that little voice get, (laughs) get quiet for myself. So that's what I want to share this, the story I'm going to share a little bit more deeply now with you is to hopefully inspire you. Because if you have seen something in your world and your heart is tugging, like this is something here, we need to keep going. And your ego, your fear, your mind is like, no, 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 just keep quiet. Don't do this. I'm hoping that what I share with you today is going to inspire you to listen to your hearts and trust that as you keep going, you will not be alone. Yeah, you are leading a movement. And as you start to speak, yes, the people in your life now, they might fade away a little bit, but they're making space for you to bring more people in that like-minded field that you're in, that you're moving towards closer and closer into your field. And you're banding together and you're creating a beautiful, expansive ripple effect that will be helping us change the world we want to see. So my story kind of goes, I mean, you've heard a little bit of it, but, and if you've been here before, you probably have heard about my, my story of 2013. I've told it in so many different ways, but just briefly, that was the year where like prior to that, I thought, oh, everything's figured out, like had the house, was married, had my dream job. And then in 2013, my dad died in his sleep, which was rather unexpected. And then I went through a divorce again, very unexpectedly, um, who I had been with. This was the person I'd been with since college and we had been together for like 15 years. So I was rather traumatized from that. And then all of the childhood trauma that was basically I had been bringing with me unconsciously along the way that basically was like creating the domino effect of this life crumbling around me. I was having my own paradigm shift that year of everything that I knew to be true was no longer. And I really did choose, I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There were plenty of months, and you can read my book, Dear Radiant One, to see in years, I'll say months and years, um, where I did not think that everything was an invitation. <laughs> I definitely felt a little bit victim. And, and you know, why is this happening to me rather than for me or through me? But I did have glimpses of it. And I'm grateful that I held on to those glimpses and saw them as golden threads to continue to weave and hold on to throughout this 10-year journey of basically a recovery. Um, But during that time at the end of the year when I decided to leave my job because my health was, was no good and sort of nothing was making sense anymore, I did decide to start my own company, Nomad. 
the Nomad Collective, which is now the Nomad Collective. Um, so I took a year off because I had a little bit of money from my father, my father's um, inheritance, not a lot, but just enough for me to like check out for a few months in Costa Rica and reboot in a lot of ways, reboot my system, look at, you know, all of these choices I had made that landed me in that place and really start to dream in a way that was in alignment with me because I realized I had made all of these other choices and I don't regret it, but I made all these other choices around other people um, that I loved that were no longer in my life. And so I thought this is really my first time I mean, I always had that choice, but like I really see it for myself as I can make these choices from a place of me. I'm the only person I need to worry about. And so what do I want and what do I want to create? So that's where I came to Nomad, where I said, well, I still love to teach. At the time I was teaching yoga and I want to travel more because I didn't get to travel as much as I wanted to those past handful of years. And so I really want that. And so I decided Nomad was going to be a retreat based business. And at the end of my time there, I had the vision. I had sort of the, the moving parts of like, you know, how to set it up, going through legal zoom and getting my website and going, doing all the pretty things. And then I said, okay, I need people. So I decided to come back to the Hudson Valley where I had been teaching and had built up a little bit of a community there for a handful of years and decided, okay, I'm going to, you know, continue to teach at all of the studios and build my audience up that will come on these retreats with me. And so that's what I was doing. And as I was going into, I mean, I literally was teaching at 10 different studios at one point, um, at one point, you know, like going to 10 different studios in a week. And there was what we called, what I'll, 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 I'll call the yoga wars. There seemed to be some yoga war wars happening where this studio wasn't talking to this studio and that like this person was saying this person, this teacher and this, blah, blah, blah. not going into the gossip of it. But I knew everything because I taught at all of the studios and I was hearing everything, but I didn't, I didn't care. I don't engage in the gossip. Like I heard it, I received it, but I wasn't like a part of it. And one of the studio owners, she joked one day and she's like, you're Switzerland, Phoebe. You have this company, but it's not a studio. So you don't see people as a threat. You're teaching at everybody's places. You're friends with them. And so you're this like neutral thing called, you know, and it's like you're Switzerland. And I was like, oh yeah, I am. And, and another, and I sort of mentioned that to another studio owner, like ha laughing about that, like I'm Switzerland. And she said, you know, if you want to heal these these wounds of these studios, you should do a, a community event, bringing them all together. And so I thought, you know, that would be really beautiful. So I started to put together this summer solstice event. I think this was in 2015. Yeah, 2015. And so I invited, first of all, just the studios that I was associated with, which was like 10, but then I think it ended up being 12 because you know, a couple other people heard about it. So we invited 12 studios um, and we had three different locations along the Hudson River. And so I, I recruited a couple of friends to help me kind of anchor the other two locations. And I was in Beacon. And it was so much fun. Like I remember 
bringing people together and there was like a huge rainstorm that came like literally 10 minutes before everybody was supposed to arrive and there were some people there and it's just like oh my gosh but what I realized was that I was leading this whole huge event and then all of a sudden people were sort of looking at me as this leader in my community and I was like oh okay that's interesting but at the same time And I should go back and say that I had come back to the Hudson Valley, not just to start my business, but I, because I did see the benefits of what I was going to do with the retreats was that it was going to be part of a bigger movement. And I didn't know what that was yet, but I did feel some sort of energy of spirit coming through me and kind of guiding me, just like this summer solstice event, just like whispering in my ear. Yes, I had the studio owners sort of logistically telling me, you should do this, but I also felt it in my heart, this voice of like, yes, this is part of the bigger, the bigger mission, the bigger vision that you have. Because I did have a vision when I was in Costa Rica, and I just like, I didn't see it connected to Nomad. I just thought, okay, this is just a vision that I had about the world. But every time I was put in these roles, like this situation I'm telling you for summer solstice, it was like I got this confirmation, like, yeah, this is part of it. Like, this is this is part of it. And it's like, okay. So all of a sudden, here I am, like, in this leadership role in with all of these studios in the Hudson Valley in New York. And... But at the same time, I was sort of doing my own healing and a lot of processing because I definitely was still dealing with that. And so I, I felt like all of a sudden I really needed to do a lot of processing, but I needed to be careful with who I was sharing, what I was sharing for a number of reasons, because I didn't want to be a part of the yoga war gossip and like talking to those people. A lot of the people in the yoga community were my friends And I just didn't want my personal business to be out there and become material for the gossip, especially now as sort of given this role um, that I was stepping into. And then also because I still had a couple of friends from my marriage and he was still in the area and I just didn't feel like I wasn't bad talking him or anything, but I felt like it's not a safe place to really process this. So I was also going to therapy. I started therapy again. So I would have that safe place, but I did, I had a lot of conversations in therapy around, like I felt lonely because now I was like given this role to be sort of this, this person in my community who was doing all of these, you know, cause I created more and more of these types of events and they were building and growing. And we had like the last year that we did it, we had 26 studios and we had over 300 people attend it so it was growing each year and we turned into other events and winter solstice and summer series and other event pop-up events so it would it was like I it was even sort of at one point like my therapist knew a couple of the people that I was working with and I just felt like it felt not that she would have ever betrayed like our our um, trust or my trust or anything like that or go against what her codes that she has her privacy codes but it just felt like I was a little alone in my healing journey in some ways 
And then it evolved into the teacher training. So everybody was starting to like do all these yoga teacher trainings. There were 200 hour yoga teacher trainings. And I had already done my 500 hour. I had already assisted my teacher for teacher trainings. And, but I was resistant to do my own because one, I didn't feel like I was ready. And like, I really, really, truly like valued my te- my training. And I wanted to do it with the integrity that I received. And I was like, I'm not ready yet. But then I was seeing all of these studios that I was teaching at doing these teacher trainings and booking them with like 20 people. And they had literally just gotten their 200 hours, opened up a studio and started to train people. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then not to be negative, but I was seeing the quality of teachers that were coming out was going down. And people like me who had been teaching for a long period of time were getting less and less work because we were charging more. And they could just hire the people that they just trained and pay them a lot less. And so I just kept hearing, you need to do these yoga teacher trainings. You're, you're ready for it. And so I thought, well, let me do a 300-hour. That's like the next level. So that at least the people who are doing their 200-hour in these studios, they can come and deepen their practice and I can take them to the next level. But for some reason during that time, all of a sudden I was seen as a, like, I don't know if it was really spoken, but I was seen somewhat as a threat by some of the studios because now I'm teaching, I was hired to do 200 hours for a studio to run their program. And I was running this other one independently for myself. And so then like I became a little bit more lonely because now those people where I was teaching, they were like not necessarily wanting to hire me because they thought that maybe I would take their people in some way. And so, again, it was just like this other layer of loneliness. As I was stepping into the voice that I I felt like I was being called into being. I felt like during that time too, as I shared in last week's podcast, it was around the same time that I was doing these retreats more Um, on a bigger scale in terms of going to places like Bali. Um, The groups were getting a little bit bigger in some cases. And so I was really seeing, okay, I'm, I'm expanding. My company's expanding. I'm expanding. But yet I'm still doing a lot of this healing, a lot of this very deep healing. And I wasn't fully ready to embody that leadership role that I felt like life was sort of pushing me into at the time. And so I said, okay, I, I remember sitting down with myself after one of the trainings and I had been invited into teaching a yoga teacher training at West Point because my 300 hour graduate was so impressed. She was a major, she was a major at West Point and she was very impressed with my program that she said, I would love to bring you to the cadets at West Point and teach them. And so I was working with the cadets more. We started this nonprofit tribe where a couple of the veterans who did the training also went through my 300 hour and they formed tribe where we bring the tools of yoga to active duty. And so I was working more with them and I really was seeing the leadership roles that they were stepping into. And I was learning a lot um, from them as I was teaching them the techniques and this, you know, the, the studies of yoga, I was actually learning a lot from them too. 
And so during kind of all of this happening at the same time, the teacher trainings, the retreats, my own healing, working with the with the military, I was like, okay, there's something tugging at my heart again to step into this bigger vision. And now I'm starting to see, and, and as we were getting closer to the pandemic, I was really starting to see, aha, this is what my vision was back in 2013 when I was in Costa Rica. I was like, ah, I'm seeing it all come clearly now that what we're doing at Nomad is part of that vision. It's not the vision, but it's part of the bigger vision. And when we got into the pandemic, it was like, oh yeah, (laughs) there's a huge paradigm shift. And all that paradigm shift that I had in 2013, my own personal paradigm shift was to prepare me as a leader to help be a leader in this paradigm shift. And I was like, oh my goodness. So I don't remember exactly linearly where it was, but it was somewhere around that time, like 2018, 19 into the the pandemic, where I was like, I really need to sit with this leadership role that I, that I've adopted. And so I looked at myself and I said, okay, I need, I need to set clear boundaries, right? Cause you learned from my, my story last week, I did not have boundaries <laughs> and you probably maybe heard a little bit of it here too, but I did not have physical boundaries. I did not have, um, like energetic boundaries. And so I said, I need to figure out how to set these clear boundaries for myself. And what do I want that to look like? And then I also need to understand that I'm still in my own healing process from all of the, the trauma of the, that year, but also all of the childhood stuff that was coming up. So I need to process that to a certain extent. I mean, we're always going to continue to heal, but I need to get to a point where I feel good so that I can actually be in places and not get triggered constantly. So that's why I decided to write the book. One of the reasons was to do that for myself, but then also to be of service to others to help them through their own healing journey. So I said, okay, that is going to help center me. It's going to help me understand more of my emotional landscape. That's going to help me stay accountable for when I realize I'm being triggered right now or this doesn't make me feel safe, right? I can really start to understand that. And then it helps me hold that that space for my vision and be clear with that vision. Just like my dance teacher said, like hold that vision and know that you might be alone for a little while. But as you hold that vision, more of the people will come in. And when I'm in that centered space, right, all of those colleagues will come and walk alongside, right, those co-creators. And so there was a lot of that at during that time, especially after the pandemic and a lot of everybody like, ah, everybody's going crazy and their own personal paradigms were shifting I did lose a lot of the people that were walking alongside of me to that point because I was setting clear boundaries, because I was seeing that clear vision and holding it and not really negotiating a bit with it because I knew, okay, this is, this is what I need to do and I can't let those boundaries get foggy here and weird because that's going to pull me off the center, off the path. 
And so then I could really truly be that leader bringing us into turning the lights on and feeling confident about turning the lights on so that as we turn the lights on, there are people around that are like, I've been waiting for this, (laughs) right? So all that to tell you a little bit of my personal journey of being lonely during that time I'm now just feeling like I'm turning the lights on just now. (laughs) It's been almost 10 years and feeling like as I turn the lights on, I'm not alone. I'm not alone and I'm the one that I've been waiting for. And so this is all to share with you is that you are the one you've been waiting for. If you feel like your world has been rocked, today, the past couple of years, for the last 10 years, whatever it is, if your paradigm, your personal paradigm has been shifting, know that's not happening to you, but it's happening for you and through you. And it's an invitation for you to clear out all the old stories. And that vision that you might have had for yourself, for our world, Maybe it goes as far back as your childhood, maybe just a couple of days ago, wherever you felt that vision, zoom in on it. Let it become that focus and know that you can't unsee it, right? Even especially if you felt it so many years back and you've tried to unsee it, you're like, no, 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 just go away, right? You know right now you can't unsee it. So Stop ignoring it. Stop here. Stop ignoring the tugs at your heart and actually say, hey, heart, what do you have to say? What do you want me to do? Right? And trust it's there for you. Get clear on that vision. Get clear on the boundaries that you might need to set. Be okay that it's going to be a little bit quiet for a while because you're finding your voice. You're finding out who your tribe truly is. And if some people in your tribe that are in your tribe right now are not coming along for the journey, it's okay. It's okay. But just continue to hold your vision and lean in to places like Reimagining Embodied Leadership Summit, the Nomad Collective. Those are just two amazing examples. But if you have other communities that you're already connected to, but you haven't fully leaned in, lean in because these are the spaces that are going to help you thrive. They're going to help you become more authentic in your voice so that people can hear you and they, you know that they're looking for your movement. They're looking for your vision. And you are the leader that you've been waiting for, not in a space of like, I'm leading the way and my my vision rocks and you're just like, you know, in that hierarchy. It's to empower the other people because they also had that vision too. And so you're turning the light, light on and giving them permission to see it and to become it so that they turn their lights on and the people in their world see it and have permission to become it. And then outside of their world, they have permission to see it and become it. So that all of our visions, right, help us in this new paradigm shift. Ah, 
So that's a little bit of my own personal story, hopefully inspiration for you to own whatever it is that you see that is calling you forward, that wants you to become who you are ready to become, my friends. And know that it might feel a little lonely, but you have places to go. I think of Nomad as, I've been calling it more and more recently the past couple of months as the sacred pause. Yeah, because there's so many places for leaders to go, like networking groups and Facebook groups and, you know, to take this, you know, take this summit and learn these skills so that you can apply it to your marketing and get more followers. But it's like, that's still on the external. It's still you trying to reach for the people. But I think of Nomad as a sacred pause where we really hold that inner journey for you to explore, to turn your own light on so that you radiate out and let your people find you. So we do a lot within the Nomad Collective of, you know, I like to dive into the philosophy and we have some discussions around that, right? Remembering this inner journey. And we do some support as well with, you know, what are you logistically doing in your business, right? How to get your retreat, how to get your next retreat, this program that you're building. We do talk about that too, but we come from a very heart-centered place. Like what is authentic for you? I'm not here to give you a template of what I've done over the last 10 years, but like getting to the essence of what feels good for you so that your people can feel good in the space with you. So that's what my hope is for reimagining embodied leadership too, is that you come into that space, you connect with these mentors that are there for you, for the week or maybe a lifetime if you do your VIP um, so that you feel seen, you feel heard, you feel felt, you feel that you're not alone in this journey of embodying who you are and who you're meant to be. All right, my dear friends, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for <laughs> my little story time. And I look forward to being with you soon perhaps at the summit. I'll see you then. Have a beautiful day.